Caitlin, welcome back. I missed you. Thank you. No shade to Tyler Huckabee, mm-hmm. but I am very much ready for a break from rereading evangelical books of the 1990s. I was shocked to hear that you listened to the Left Behind book. I know. It was the first time I'd ever read it. Like, that is a labor of love. <laughs> That's right. I have loved your and Tyler's Apocryphon series. It was really fun to listen to. I got a bit jealous, especially with the Wild at Heart episode. Oh, I bet you were just like, oh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I want to yes. share them. <laughs> so many, so many thoughts. It yes. was, in fact, fun. And I'm excited that we're going to keep it up monthly and then you can join mm. Tyler and offer your thoughts occasionally. Yes. But I am ready to put away the books and talk movies. Mm. Like Academy Award nominees? Like a documentary on Christian nationalism produced by Rob Reiner. Ooh. Bring on the popcorn and we might need some wine. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two Christian women cozy on the couch in New York winter. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty. So it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around the fact that Rob Reiner, who we know as the director of movies like The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, other classics, got involved with a documentary on Christian nationalism. Inconceivable. He basically just wanted to ask... Can Christianity and patriotism just be friends? They can't. The Jesus thing always gets in the way. That's a really niche joke. That's going to play to a niche audience. Our audience, hopefully. (laughs) But that is kind of what this documentary is about and concludes that true Christianity doesn't actually mesh well with patriotism. Yeah, that's basically it. All right, let's back up. Let's give the people some context. Yes. The documentary God and Country came out last week. It's directed by Dan Partland and produced by Reiner. I was amazed by how many friends of the podcast are in this. Lots mm-hmm. of familiar experts. People like Jamar Tisby, Anthea Butler, Kristen Dumay, William Barber. Lots of good folks. David French and Rob Shank and Phil Fisher and Sky Jatani and Doug Paget and Andrew Whitehead and, 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 and. They really got everybody yes. who has ever talked bad about Christian nationalism. So the movie's project seems to be twofold. One, to show the clear and present danger of Christian nationalism for America and American democracy And then also to show how far afoul Christian nationalism is from the heart of actual Christianity. Which is interesting because Rob Reiner and Dan Partland don't really have a lot of stake in defending Christianity. Reiner is Jewish and Partland is unaffiliated, as we'll hear from both of them later in the show. Yeah, when we talked to them, they made it sound like this was actually something of a surprise to them that in the course of making the show to realize not all Christians are Christian nationalists (laughs) and that Christian teachings are not really compatible with nationalism. We'll hear from Rob and Dan later in the show. But first, a pop quiz. (laughs) That was the part of Apocryphon that I was like, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on the fun. And the one win. I'm bringing it to Save by the City just for you. So what am I being quizzed about? Because if you want me to correctly define Christian nationalism, 
That is a fool's errand because no one can agree on how to define this thing. Trick question. (laughs) It is a trick question, yes. Right. Well, more on that later. That is not the subject of this pop quiz. The subject of this pop quiz is your pop culture savvy when it comes to all things Rob Reiner. (laughs) I needed to be born a decade earlier, but let's try it. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Which of the following is not a movie directed by Rob Reiner? Mm -hmm. Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Spinal Tap. (laughs) Spinal Tap. And I know he directed it. He did not direct Stand By Me. He did. It's actually Rob's favorite film he made. What was the right answer? They're all Rob Reiner movies. Ah, Okay, okay. That was Trixie. I should have offered all of the above and then you would have gotten it. But I was like so confident about, okay. (laughs) Not stand by me. All right. When Rob Reiner was growing up in the Bronx, he lived across the street from what future Oscar winning director, actor, and producer who eventually became his wife and is known for her role as Laverne from Laverne and Shirley, and was the director of the movie Big and A League of Their Own. Oh my gosh. Her name is Penny. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> who, is, who is it? Penny Marshall. But that is impressive. I would not have gotten that. All right. What is Rob Reiner's most well-known acting role? It's a TV show. Oh, he played the young hippie guy in... All in the family. Yes. <laughs> Good job. Okay. Meathead. Meathead. Yes. All right. Rob Reiner co-wrote the first episode of what iconic television show featuring characters Archie, Potsy, and Mouth? Um, Happy Days. Yes. Good job. <laughs> All right. Last one. I think you're going to get this one. Okay. Rob Reiner was best friends in high school with what famous actor who played a... Shaggy marine biologist in Jaws. Uh, Richard Dreyfus. Woo! <laughs> you like, got a lot a of them, actually. That was pretty good. Uh, Penny, I'm just saying. That was your turning point. That was my Xena. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Shall we get back to the topic at hand? So how do you define Christian nationalism, Caitlin? The most concise definition of Christian nationalism I have come across is basically the belief that America as a country was ordained by God and should be governed according to Christian values. It does seem straightforward enough if like a bit abstract. Mm -hmm. I hear that and I think that's it. And -hmm. then I think, what do people actually believe when they say Christian nationalism or when people talk about it? Right. And like, would somebody who is just an ordinary person on an ordinary Sunday in an ordinary church, would they disagree Mm -hmm. with that? And if they agree with it, does that make them a Christian nationalist? I think these are some of the questions that I'm curious about. Yes, definitely. Like, if you agree with a general statement, America was ordained by God, or America should be governed according to Christian values, does that put you in the same category of the people who showed up to the Capitol building on January right. 6th. Is it one and the same? Are there other elements that we would use to distinguish between the two that were at play on January 6th? Is it the use of force? Is it racialized? Mm-hmm. We will get into all of that. 
So what do the pollsters say when people are actually asked (laughs) about some of these questions? Yeah, there are a few different research firms trying to get at this in different ways. I think probably the one that I've seen quoted the most is a Pew Research study that sort of grouped, it asked three different questions and kind of ranked people by how they answered each of the questions. And if they answered all three, they would be like more firmly in the Christian nationalism camp. Mm -hmm. So the three questions they asked were, do you believe the founders of America originally intended for the U.S. to be a Christian nation? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. About 60% of U.S. adults say yes. That's higher than I would think. Exactly. And that's including non-Christians. Right. Obviously, if Christians believe that more so. Mm-hmm. White evangelicals are the most likely to believe it at 81%, a theme that we can tease out later. Yes. All right. The second question is, the U.S. is now a Christian nation. Mm. Do you agree that the U.S. is now a Christian nation? So 64% of U.S. adults say no. Um, and again, that is higher for white evangelicals. They're the highest group to say no, the United States is not a Christian nation now at 75%. Mm-hmm. So I think that the part of the getting at this is that our values are slipping away, that the U.S. Yes. is becoming something that we don't agree with anymore. An interesting follow-up question to this that's, I think, implied that would be distinguished between all U.S. adults versus white evangelical Protestants is like, and should it be? <laughs> like, right. and, and do you think that's a bad thing? Like, right. I assume a majority would say, no, it's not a Christian nation, nor should it be because it's a pluralistic democracy. I assume with white evangelical Protestants, it's like, no, because we've really strayed far from our country's founding, which is probably related to the third question that was asked. It is, in fact, the third question. (laughs) You should go into the research business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. I, I don't know how I guessed that. So intuitive. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So yes, the third question is, should the U.S. be a Christian nation? And yes, you're right. The majority of U.S. adults do not think that America should be a Christian nation, although it's almost half. It's 45% do agree that it should be. So it's, you know, it's still close. We still have a lot of Christians mm-hmm. in this country who would like to see it continue to be a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And of course, Christians believe that at higher levels, white evangelicals at the highest level, 81% of white evangelicals believe that the U.S. should be a Christian nation. 81%. That's a very special number when it comes to white evangelical Protestants. It rings a bell. Yeah. Based on exit polling from the 2016 presidential election, we just heard, heard like Tons of headlines and commentary about this. 81% of white evangelical Protestants who voted, voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And then here, 81% of white evangelical Protestants are saying America should be a Christian nation. They picked an interesting person to bring <laughs> back Christianity, which we'll also get into. I feel like somebody could base like a biblical numerology argument around oh. the significance of the number 81 have you been reading Left Behind? Well, I guess I've been thinking about it because of your and Tyler's episode on Left Behind. All right. So I think part of what we were poking at a little bit earlier is like 
I think a lot of people I know, a lot of people I grew up with, a lot of people I go to church with or have gone to church with, would answer all of those questions the way that white evangelicals answered those questions. And they would not storm the Capitol. Right. I think there is a lot to talk about in that gap and in the reality that a lot of people believe these things at a sort of, I don't know, emotional or heart level or just like Mm -hmm. a, it's in the water kind of thing. But that's not necessarily something that are going to shake up democracy about, you know? Yeah. I think maybe one distinction is what you think should happen with people who don't agree with you. <laughs> like, right. like Christian values can live alongside other broadly democratic values. I imagine a lot of people would agree with those two statements and also say, and I really believe in the separation of church and state. Right. Faith should not be coercive. It should not be pressed upon other people against their will. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the big hinges seems to be, well, what do you think of democracy? (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you know, because there's like, okay, you vote your Christian values, and then there's like, you resort to violence to insist that your Christian values rule the land. Like, I think some Christians might say, I believe these things, but I also kind of trust our government leaders, like, Mm -hmm. or I trust God's leading, we're going to be okay. And then there are others who are like, no, this is our moment. This is our time. We need to act. God has called us to act. You know, Jesus is not a, <laughs> Jesus is not a lamb. He's a lion and he's coming back. Like, mm-hmm. that was scary. <laughs> there have to be other dimensions to this when we're talking about Christian nationalism beyond those two beliefs. Right. I'm pretty sure every church that I attended growing up had a denominational flag or a Christian flag and the American flag. Mm -hmm. Is that Christian nationalism? Right. Maybe that's not Christian nationalism. Do those things plant the seeds for Christian nationalism? I think that's a good point. And then you add on all sorts of other elements. You get the recipe Mm -hmm. for full-blown Christian nationalism of the kind that we saw at the Capitol and like why they decided to go in the name of God. Mm -hmm. The fact that American citizens stormed the Capitol building, and we have come to understand that rightly as a an attack on this country's democratic norms. Mm -hmm. For all that you might say about patriots being there, there was something actually much more fascist or (laughs) Mm -hmm. something that was antithetical to American values. Yeah, and attempted a coup in the hopes of instating what feels more like dictator or strongman or you know, someone who was not elected, you know, or even even a theocracy, you know, a, a sense that, oh, we, if we could just have like a Christian king, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and that is very unpatriotic or at least very un-American. This is my other question going into watching the documentary and just as a journalist who works for an outlet that covers Christian nationalism along with all the other outlets, but... Mm-hmm. It's akin to what is Christian nationalism and what isn't, but it's this sense that I've been getting over the last couple of years that the definition of it has become so broad and so easy to use without mm-hmm. a lot of specificity. And mm-hmm. so there's a way that it feels like it's become just a really big bucket to throw anything in from, you know, a t-shirt that says Jesus loves America to storming the Capitol. Yeah. I just wonder if Christian nationalism has become 
the bogeyman of the left in the way that, say, like, CRT mm. became the catch-all enemy for the right for a while. Yeah. Or wokeism. Like, everything was woke. And it became this shorthand for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wonder if now Christian nationalism has become like a shorthand on the left to mean too much. And it's mm-hmm. lost some of its specificity. And, it, and there's a danger in that because then anybody who you run into who might say a certain thing that could just be like somebody's nice mom who's like, yeah, I really want Christian values in this country. You know, like suddenly they're a Christian nationalist. I don't think this is true of Rob and Dan's documentary. I do think this is true by some people who are talking about Christian nationalism is that there could be a failure to distinguish between Christian nationalists and kind of traditional conservatism Mm -hmm. that very much is for liberal democracy. And the documentary talks to a few of these people who we know, like Russell Moore, David French, kind of principled conservatives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can critique principled conservatives for lots of things if you disagree with them. But I do think it's important to kind of not collapse all of the Although now that I say this, I'm like, yeah, but David French and Russell Moore are like very clear minorities. Mm. Like how much of Republican politics just has been totally consumed by this stuff. Yeah, which is a real danger. I mean, they don't have much of a voice in their party anymore, including as leaders in a lot of like evangelicalism. Like they have been cast out. Yes. All right. So let's get to the documentary. Yes. Let's hear from the creators themselves and do make sure to stick around after the interview as Roxy and I have plenty of our own thoughts about the documentary. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. From Anglicans to Zoroastrians, RNS has religion covered A to Z. And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Like, for real. We love your reviews. They mean a lot to us. I know we say it every week, but we would love to get some more reviews up there. I mean, good ones. (laughs) If you want to put a bad one up there, don't. Keep that to yourself. Hearing that you appreciate the work that we are doing and that you would be sad if we went away really gives us fuel to keep going. So let us know. You know what to do. Email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. Do it. When you hear the word land, what images come to mind? Your local garden, the environment, Mother Earth, 40 acres and a mule, What if I told you that our thoughts about land are rooted in religion and those religious ideas have transformed American politics? This is Complexified, a podcast for the religiously curious and politically frustrated. In this season of Complexified, we will unearth the different and often unexamined beliefs about land in search of new paths toward a common good. I'm your host, Amanda Henderson, 
coming to you from the Institute for Religion, Politics, and Culture at Iliff School of Theology and in partnership with Religion News Service. Follow Complexified on your favorite podcast app. We are super excited today to welcome Dan Portland and Rob Reiner to Save by the City. And we both had a chance to watch God and Country. And it's certainly something that has resonated with us. And we've talked about the subject a few times on the podcast. And this is certainly the year to talk more about it. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here with us. So I guess to start, I don't know that this is like naturally a a film that I would have attached you in particular, Rob, to. So how did you all get involved in this project? What made you want to do it? Why did you feel compelled to help create a documentary about Christian nationalism? And Rob, I'll start with you. Yeah, I I think I was, uh, you know, aware of the Christian right movement for quite a while. I mean, Norman Lear Mm -hmm. had a an organization called People for the American Way, and it was threatening other people's liberties. And it grew. It started to grow and gain uh, momentum and power as the decades went by. And then I got a book from a, a fellow named Steve Oaken, who was wanting to produce a documentary about a book that was based on this book by Catherine Stewart called mm-hmm. The Power Worshippers. And I read it, and I was surprised to find how powerful this movement was, And that it, in fact, was a political movement, not a religious movement. It had gained tremendous amount of strength. And so I thought, okay, I mean, let's talk about this because it it definitely is having an effect on our politics. And I was surprised to find out that it had an effect on Christianity Mm. itself and people's beliefs. That I didn't understand, but I understand through the making of the film. But I approached Dan Partland, who I've known for a while. We've worked on things together. I've really loved his work. He's done great, great uh, documentaries in the past. And I said to Dan, is this something that you'd be interested in? I mean, we want to take this on. And he said, yes, and uh, here we are. Yeah, and for my part, Rob passed the Power Worshippers, great book. I read it, and... After reading the book and then doing additional research, I really started to see that this Christian nationalist political movement, as Rob said, is not a religious movement. It's a political movement masquerading as faith, but that Mm. this political movement is really the driver between so many of the hot button culture war conflicts that we're having right now. So a very close friend of mine, I really just wanted his take before taking on a project like this about what he knew about this space and whether it was even appropriate for me as, you know, I have Christian heritage, but I don't identify with Christianity as a central part of who I am. This topic is really sensitive. It makes you nervous. You don't know what Mm. people are going to say. And so at this lunch, I said, oh, I really want to get your take on this. I'm considering this project to do a documentary about the current state of the rise of Christian nationalism in the U.S. And he went white. Mm. And he said, first of all, thank you so much for taking this on. It's the biggest thing going on in the country right now, and the whole secular world doesn't seem to know about it. And it's going to tear the country apart and the church. And that told me, first of all, he wasn't at all offended that a secular person was going to take on this thing and felt like it needed to be talked about. But the surprising thing that he 
alerted me to right then in that first conversation was the danger that it also represented to the church, because I had come to it from being very concerned about what it was doing to American democracy. So we really approached it from the beginning that we had to make sure to include the fact that so, so many millions and millions of faithful American Christians are deeply concerned about the impact it's having on their faith. Mm -hmm. Mm. One of the conservative Christians that you speak with in the documentary is Russell Moore, a former SBC leader, now editor-in-chief with Christianity Today. He's been very publicly concerned about the rise of Christian nationalism, and he draws this distinction between conservative Christians like himself and Christian nationalists. So do you buy that distinction, or in your perspective, does one lead to the other? Mm-hmm. I think the fact that you're asking the question, and it's a, it's a fair question that a lot of people have, is evidence of how far gone this is. It's like mm. the fact that people are fully conflating being a Christian conservative with Christian nationalists it is mm-hmm. evidence of how the Christian conservative movement has really been subsumed in a lot of ways by this Christian nationalist influence. I think the way Dr. Moore talks about it, I learned a tremendous amount from him, but is really when the goal is not to spread the gospel in terms of saving souls, but just to accumulate power. Mm-hmm. is where the thing has become, you know, inverted. It's where it's really lost the Christian message. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is Robert Jeffers is in the film and lately we've seen I've seen some articles uh, written where he's starting to question that he has gone away from Jesus's teachings. He he's now questioning what have we done? I mean, he feels like they've gone too far and I think you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of religious leaders who bought into this uh, power movement, this political movement, starting to rethink it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the film will get more people to mm-hmm. think about this and decide, yes, we do need that separation of church and state. We do need to have a robust discussion. And there's nothing wrong with letting your religious beliefs inform how you vote. I mean, that's that's okay. You just can't force your way onto other people. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look up those articles about Jeffress. Yeah. I did not know that. Robert Jeffress <laughs> repents would be a, a big headline. Great Repent headline. Repent may be an overstatement, but he's questioning. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he was questioning. He yeah, started to he question questioned. it. I think it was in the New York Times. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can look it up. I, I read it. You were starting to like poke out a little bit like a definition of Christian nationalism. And I feel like as someone who works in the news and has been kind of part of covering this, that's been slippery. It's been hard to find, like, how do we define Christian nationalism? What does it mean? Is it just Christians who don't want a difference between church and state? Is there white supremacy involved? I would love to hear your thoughts on that after making this film. And I think, relatedly, part of the criticism of the current sort of media coverage of Christian nationalism has been that it's become too broad, too vague, that, to Caitlin's point, it sort of feels like all conservative Christians fit in and it's just sort of like a scare tactic of the left now to like 
call things Christian nationalism. I do think defining it is kind of the, the hardest part. The term itself, of course, is super problematic because it sounds to people just the basic words, Christian nationalism, like it might be some really great thing. It might be mm. something that combines love of country with love of faith, and who wouldn't want to have that? I mean, all nationalist movements are really about defining one class of people as different than another in law or just in culture. These are blood and soil movements that say that because of race, ethnicity, religion, geography is where you get your authority to make the rules in this land. So Christian nationalism definitely tries to tie together the founding of the country and Christianity and claim a certain privilege for white American Christians. Mm -hmm. And that's why the founders opened the Constitution with the words, we the people, mm -hmm. because they would give power to the people, not to a church, not to a king, but to the people. And the people will decide what kind of country they want. And as Dan points out, three times it's mentioned in the Constitution that church and state must be separated. What is unto Caesar is unto Caesar, and what is unto God is unto God. And it's the greatest experiment in government in mankind. It's the first time any government started the concept of giving power to the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's never been done. Up until then, it was either kings or, you know, it was ruled by a religious, you know, connection to a deity. and. Mm -hmm. Christian nationalists, in, in the film, they talk about this should be the only religion, that mm -hmm. this is the religion. They mention that a couple of times. The documentary spends a fair amount of time talking about the money, showing that mm. the lobbying and media apparatus that's fueling Christian nationalism is a pretty well-oiled machine. And it kind of made me wonder, the people who are helping to fund these efforts, are they true believers in the cause of Christian nationalism or is Christian nationalism being used as a kind of fundraising tool to manipulate people's feelings and fears? What's your impression of that? I think in most cases, it's to reach certain political ends. Mm. I mean, there are certain issues that are, you know, well honestly held issues that you want to see happen. You want to see the law changed. And the way to do that is to organize, and that means well-funded, and you push an agenda. But it's one thing to push an agenda and then tie it to saying that the whole country should live and believe a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, you can push an agenda on abortion rights or uh, you know, LBGTQ rights, what, whatever you want to do, if that's what you believe. But you then can't take the next step, which is now the Bible is the Constitution rather than the Constitution being the Constitution. Mm. So, yes, it is a political movement, and they use these, this is in the name of Jesus, this is in the name of Christianity, and it's very hard for a lot of people to make that distinction, and it's also very hard to say, you can do anything if you're saying you're doing it because this is God's will. Mm -hmm. And I would suspect that I don't know that anybody knows. We all have to find out what that is and what does that mean to us. That's mm -hmm. why we have this wonderful pluralistic society. But another component of what, Caitlin, I think you were asking a minute ago is about the way that even talking about this 
has the potential to have conservatives, Christian conservatives, all feel attacked? Are we really just talking about one thing or, or are there different things? That's a huge concern of mine because I think, of course, there are millions, tens of millions of conservative Christians in America who are not Christian nationalists. Mm-hmm. The issue is what's complicated about it is that a couple people self-identify as Christian nationalists, but mostly people don't. Mostly it's an undercurrent in the society. Mm-hmm. And the people who have studied this, the sociologists who've studied this, nobody's kind of all or nothing. It's not an on and off switch. People have mm-hmm. different amounts that they ascribe to some of this belief about the need for the United States to be a Christian nation and for Christians to have some additional authority. So it's wobbly because I think a lot of that desire is really born of just wanting to promote Christian values that I think are fair. It's fair to promote them in the political sphere. So I am concerned about that, but mostly I'm worried about the tens of millions who are swept up in it unwittingly, really, because Mm -hmm. it has become so dominant. You're hearing these messages from the pulpit. And as soon as Christian leaders, whether faith leaders or political leaders, but are really in our new media bubbles, our media silos that we have, these messages Mm -hmm. are you know, it's an echo chamber, it's getting reinforced over and over again. And soon it seems like the only way to be a good person, to be a good Christian or a good American, is to weave this identity together. And that means there's a slate of political deliverables. How they relate to Christian values is pretty vague to me. Sometimes they seem totally contrary to Christian values, Mm -hmm. but the culture is secularizing. So a lot of people this big story that's going around now, but it's been the case for many years now, is that evangelicalism has become the biggest denomination in the country, self-identified evangelicals, and that a very small percentage of them go to church or came from an evangelical tradition. So it's really a self-styled merging of a political identity. They see it on TV, and that's kind of the team they want to be on, Mm -hmm. and it's not clear how theological it is. And because, as Dan points out, everybody is in their information silos, it keeps getting reinforced. I think when people feel insecure, when they feel Mm. that they don't have any power and that the way they think about the world is slipping away from them, particularly in the United States, it couldn't Mm -hmm. be a more diverse country and it's becoming more and more diverse as as we go along, they feel that their way of life, you know, is slipping away from them and they feel powerless. So they think that the way to gain that power back is by theocratic, autocratic rule. Mm-hmm. If you feel threatened, if you feel like you're insecure and you don't feel you have any power, you'll do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. get back the way in which you think, the way you think things should be. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is based on insecurity. You know, the pace of change, the pace of change, globalizing world, the threat of, you know, impending climate catastrophe that people are worried about, economic insecurity. I think it's just a dark time in those ways. And so people are looking to be reassured. I think particularly people who feel like their prospects have dimmed they're not feeling hopeful about their future. And then the ethno-nationalist leader comes in and he says, we're going to have some great policies for you. It's not necessarily clear how the policies are actually going to benefit the people, but what the 
ethno-nationalist leader does is he gives people something even more important. He says, your status should be higher just because of being you. You have a claim to this land. And it's a way of kind of pitting people against each other to give status to one group by claiming lesser status for another group. I think that's a huge piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, on another level, I definitely hope that we're in this moment as a country where we've wobbled a little bit. We've lost our way a little bit, our confidence, our certainty about what, what this country is all about. In our effort to try to talk about and take responsibility, accountability for all of the ways in which we've fallen short over the years, I think we've also lost our confidence in what the ideals were. And that's another mm. thing that allows Christian nationalism to thrive at this moment where the ideals have been challenged. So definitely, I want to reassert what's great about this country and the opportunity that we do have here and, and what has defined us from the beginning and recapture that as part of our identity and a strong piece of that, equal to you know freedom from tyranny from foreign governments, is freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to take that away from anybody. Well, thank you both so much, giving so generously of your yeah, time. Thank you. Good luck with everything. And thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you so much for having us. And thanks for all that you guys do. Okay, Caitlin, you watched the documentary today. It's very fresh <laughs> in your memory. Do you think the documentary succeeded in its twofold goal of making clear the threat of Christian nationalism and of showing that's not real Christianity? I think the documentary did a very good job of laying out how Christian nationalism is fundamentally anti-democratic, mm -hmm. a betrayal of like the core Christian message. Right. Sometimes I wondered if like the alternative version is like a nice Christian nationalism. Like I think what the documentary right. leaves open is this question of, well, how should people's religious values inform life in the public square? Mm -hmm. It left me wondering whether the filmmakers were essentially like, we just need a gentler, nicer kind of Christianity to show up and just like kind of ignore all the other elements of Christianity that don't really mm -hmm. jibe with like liberal modern democracy. Does that make sense? Yeah. It surprised me a little bit that it went that way. Like an admission, like, okay, the majority of this country is Christian mm -hmm. still at this point, you know? And so if only they could just act a little more Christian and then it would be better, you know? <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it that way, the way that you're putting it. I had felt a little like, like it let a lot of Christians off the hook because it was like, you're not the bad guy. The bad guys are not actually acting Christian. So if you just follow your faith, you'll be okay. And I didn't really feel like it did a lot of work to challenge like what may have led people to this point or how Christianity can really coexist alongside a growing number of other religions. Mm -hmm. And when some of these values of Christianity that have been held really close, like abortion, like, how does that Christianity coexist well when there's, like, a growing number of people that don't agree with it or that are leaving it or that are voting against those values, especially when so many people continue to be raised up with 
American flags next to their pulpit and continue to be raised up with an idea that America was supposed to be a Christian nation. Yeah, I don't think anybody interviewed in the documentary obviously has ever been a full-blown Christian nationalist of the mm-hmm. type that we saw at the Capitol. But certainly, certain people in the documentary participated in institutions that planted seeds for people to think this country should be guided by Christian values and you need to participate politically to make sure that you get the right people in positions of political power to see your values enacted in the public square. And especially the role of looming threat and fear of the future and what could happen Mm -hmm. if you don't act now. I mean, that feels like omnipresent in Mm -hmm. so much of evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think about like after 9-11, this like the fight that a lot of Christians took to like make sure mosques didn't get built in their neighborhood and Mm -hmm. things like that, you know, that feel, I don't know, we're not being called Christian nationalism at the time, but certainly previews of it. I wondered watching this, like, who is it for? Like, who is the intended audience for this? And what do they want those people to take away from it? Because I, I certainly wondered, like, is this just preaching to a choir? Mm -hmm. The people who are going to watch this are already in that camp of Russell Moore's, David French's. I don't think any Christian nationalists are going to watch this. And be like, oh, they get I me. missed it. <laughs> I missed what Christianity was really about. Yeah. To the filmmaker's credit, I think there could be a way of critiquing Christian nationalism that is essentially like, this is just Christianity and Christianity mm-hmm. is the right. problem. Especially as outsiders. Yeah. Like religious expression of any kind in the public square is the problem. And so to their credit, mm-hmm. Dan and Rob's, I felt like, no, there is a very clear level of respect. And I think the fact that they, almost entirely spoke with Christian leaders or people who Mm -hmm. profess Christian faith is a way of saying, we recognize this isn't like Christian nationalists do not speak for the whole of the Christian faith and that there is an important critique of this movement from within Christianity. So I, I really appreciated that. I, I totally agree. I think it would have been interesting to have heard from people at the grassroots level who are part of this movement, not just like Marjorie Taylor Greene and religious right leaders, but somebody who's really been drawn into this in the last Mm -hmm. five or 10 years. Like what is motivating them? What is their life like? What are the fears Mm -hmm. that are driving them to this? What do they think of January 6th? I'm assuming there are people who basically are Christian nationalists, but are still concerned about what happened on January 6th. Although maybe I'm naive. The documentary kind of expectedly ends with the sense that this is a dangerous movement and things are getting worse. And there are multiple Mm -hmm. examples from the last couple years to say, we are on this course. It's only going to get worse from here. Was that compelling to you? Do you agree? Like, yeah, this does seem to be getting worse. Yes and no. I don't think we're in quite the tinderbox that we were in on January 6th. Like, we had just come through covid There had been, you know, all of the George Floyd, Black Lives Matter movement, like everybody was on edge. And there had been months of people predicting that the election was going to be stolen and fraudulent. People were just amped up. 
they'd been shown something of a path toward resistance with all of the protests. We were just primed for Mm -hmm. civil disobedience that was not actually civil. Right. So I'm not sure we're in that place in the same way. That sort of heightened, escalated emotional energy. Mm -hmm. When you look at the Republican Party and what's playing out right now and what will play out on Super Tuesday, no doubt. Like, Mm -hmm. there is not any question of who is the leader of the Republican Party right now. It is Donald Mm -hmm. Trump. So we are going to face another Trump-Biden election. Don't remind me. I know. And evangelicals are going to vote for Trump again. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that it's explosive in the same way, but I think the movement is still very much there and is gaining ground, probably. In mm-hmm. a lot of ways, whether and it might not be the Proud Boys gaining that ground. It might yes. be more just like the Republican establishment using that language of Christian nationalism more often. Which is in some ways more alarming because then it's moving from the fringes to the center as an institution or as like a well-organized mm-hmm. coalition of leaders and organizations right. rather than the Proud Boys or the QAnon yeah. shaman. Okay, I was going to say, I don't think it's getting worse, but now I think it is. (laughs) I convinced you. Oh. Well, I wish we were ending on a more positive note, but that's where we are in the year of our Lord 2024. We obviously had a lot of thoughts about this topic and about the documentary, but bottom line, Roxy and I encourage you to see God and Country in the movie theater on a streaming device. Yeah, and just to talk about its themes with friends, family, people who go to your church. If seeds of change will be planted, they're going to be planted at the grassroots. Wow. (laughs) That's where seeds go. Never put those two (laughs) things together before, but there you go. Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Julia Wyndham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for listening. For listening.